May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight of God. Our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Be seated. When I was in junior high and high school, I, I played the trumpet, and by the time I got to high school, I thought that I was pretty good, and uh, I was usually competing for first or second chair. My senior year, I won a competition uh, for the soloist in the marching band. I was the featured soloist in the big marching band show. I was pretty proud of myself for that. And then uh, my senior year also, we went to state. I was part of the trumpet trio, went to state with that. So, you know, I thought coming out of high school, I was a pretty good trumpet player. And even entertained the notion of maybe someday I could be a semi-professional musician, play some gigs on the side here and there. Well, then I went to college, and I was part of the concert band there, and I encountered a different level of musicianship. <laughs> the first two uh, trumpet players, the first and second chair, uh, were incredibly musicians. They played, they could play, uh, play with great speed and accuracy. They, their range was about four or five notes higher than I could ever hope to squeak out. And uh, come to find out, after college, they went on and they played for orchestras and, symp and, and symphonies. And so, what happened? What changed? Well, before college, I was comparing my ability to a lower standard. When I got to college, I met standard of excellence that I hadn't encountered before. I bring that up because in our parable from Luke 18, Jesus talks about a Pharisee who is measuring his relationship with God using a wrong standard. And he thinks because he's doing pretty well according to his standard that his relationship with God is just right. But we find out later that's not the case. Now, when we read about a Pharisee in the Old Testament or the New Testament, uh, we know automatically that this is one of the bad guys. We're trained to see the word Pharisee and think, well, this definitely is not one of the, the good guys. But if you're in the first century, if you were one of Jesus' original hearers of this parable, when you heard the word Pharisee, you think this is a, this is a paragon of, of virtue. And uh, he's a great example of religious uh, perfection, even. Because the Pharisee, and I think we can sympathize with this, the Pharisee was part of a group who was very concerned to preserve religious identity. The Pharisee did not want paganism to influence him or his family. He didn't want to see his children bowing down to the Greek gods or the Roman gods. And so the Pharisee developed strategies to please the God of the Old Testament. The Pharisee hoped that through his obedience to the Old Testament, all God would bless the nation of Israel again and rescue Israel. And so the Pharisees tried to keep the law of God, the Old Testament law, the Torah. Unfortunately, they developed more laws. They developed an oral tradition to protect themselves from breaking the written Old Testament laws. And they, they call that fencing the law. 
So they definitely got off track. But their motivation was good. And again, I think we can sympathize with them. They wanted to preserve their religious identity. They didn't want paganism to influence them or their children. And so with that in mind, let's read again this prayer of the Pharisee in the parable. It says in verse 11 that, verse 11, standing by himself, he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, and you could translate that robbers as well. Unjust, which is just kind of a catch-all for um, an unrighteous person, uh, an unrighteous sinner. Adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So he's thanking God for what he doesn't do, and then he thanks God for what he does do. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I think you could read this. You could read this in one way, kind of cynically, and say, you know, this guy is just full of empty religious pride and vanity. He's just puffing himself up. He's just strutting his religious feathers. He's making himself look good, but it's nothing more than empty, vain religious pride. Or I think you could read this slightly different and take him seriously. That he really is thanking God. He is really thanking God that, that he hasn't fallen into these grievous sorts of sins that he sees around him. Adultery, extortion, what the tax collector is doing. Maybe he's very sincere that he's, he's thankful to God for his spiritual development and his spiritual discipline. I mean, he is very disciplined in his religious behavior. He fasts twice a week, and he gives a tenth of everything he gets. How many of us could say that? We fast twice a week, or we tithe 10% of everything. This is the kind of guy that shows up whenever the church is open. He volunteers for any sort of group or ministry. This is the kind of guy who makes sure that his tithe comes in on automatic pay to the church so that when he's on vacation, they're going to get the church tithe. He's meticulous about these sorts of things. You should see his prayer list. Very good at keeping his daily quiet time. So I think he's sincere in his religious practice. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. That when he's praying this, he's praying for a prayer of sincere thanks to God for his spiritual and moral development. And yet Jesus says at the end, this isn't the guy who was justified. Now justification means that when God looks at me, he sees a righteous person. That I am right in the eyes of God. And the Pharisee of all people is not justified before God. Well, what's the problem? He's using the wrong standard. He's measuring himself against other people, and he's measuring them based on his religious rules that he's been keeping. He's looking down instead of looking up. And he's not comparing himself against God's standard, which is perfection. God's standard is perfection. James 2.10 says this, For whoever has the whole law of God and yet stumbles on just one little point is guilty of breaking it all. 
I don't think this guy also is very self-reflective. Because it says at the beginning of this parable that Jesus taught this to those who thought that they were righteous, and because they thought that they were righteous, they had contempt for others. And if this guy would have been self-reflective and looked at his own attitude in his heart, he could have seen that there is contempt for other people, and that's breaking the law of God. Because one of the, uh, the, the, the summaries of the law that we have is we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves. And uh, you can't have contempt for somebody for somebody and love them at the same time. And this Pharisee should have known that. That's in the Old Testament as well. Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor. This guy had contempt for his neighbor. And so he wasn't really meeting God's perfect standard of righteousness. He was using a different standard to justify himself. I think we all can do that to some extent, to rationalize our behavior, to justify ourselves by changing the standard. I remember some time ago there was a movie that came out called Changing Lanes with Ben Affleck and Sam Jackson, Samuel Jackson. I don't know if you saw that movie, Changing Lanes. But I pulled a quote from that movie. In, uh, in the movie, Ben Affleck plays this corrupt lawyer. And at this point in the movie, he, he's still corrupt. He has somewhat of a, of a change of heart by the end of the movie. But at one point in the movie, the character played by Ben Affleck, who's just this terrible, despicable lawyer, he says, you know, I, I can sleep at night because at the end of the day, I think I do more good than evil. What other standard is it? That's what his character said. What other standard is it? Well, there's God's standard which is perfection. And we all fall short of that standard. But I think we all have ways to, to kind of justify our behavior, to think, well, I do more good than evil. I'm not as bad as other people. Therefore, God certainly will accept me. Therefore, God must accept me. Well, this parable is really a warning against that kind of attitude. Again, Jesus taught this parable to those who trusted in themselves. This is the spiritual attitude that Jesus is saying, don't go there. Don't look to yourself in order to attain righteousness before God, to be justified before him. That is not how God justifies people. But it's a pervasive tendency of the human heart. Now, Jesus condemns the attitude of the Pharisee, and then he commends the attitude of the tax collector of all people. I mean, the tax collector in those days was known as a greedy, dishonest person. The tax collector was known as a collaborator of the enemy. The tax collector stood for everything that was wrong. But the Jews who collaborated with the Roman oppressors. But let's look at how the tax collector prays. How different his prayer is. He starts off, he's, he's, not, he's not comparing himself to anybody. He doesn't bring anybody else into the prayer. It's just him and God. He doesn't say, God, I know I'm a tax collector, and that's pretty bad. But I'm not as bad as that guy, Zacchaeus. Boy, he's really terrible. No, he doesn't do that. He just brings himself before the Lord. and He doesn't even look up to heaven. 
he senses that he's not even worthy to look for a holy God. And he beats his breast, which is a sign of public contrition and mourning and grief. It's a sign of humiliating yourself. Beating yourself. And he simply prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's how we're justified before God. Being honest with him about who we really are. Admitting to God that we really don't measure up to his perfect standard. And then casting ourselves at his mercy, which we as Christians know has been led for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals the mercy of God at the cross. Aren't you thankful that we have a God who receives us in that way? In our psalm that we read together, Psalm 65, verse 3, the psalmist says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. He's praising God. In the psalm, he's praising God for many different things, for creation, for his bounty and blessing. But he starts off praising God that he's the kind of God who atones for transgressions. He's a merciful God. And that's what this tax collector discovers. God is merciful. Some people ask this question, particularly critics of Christianity will raise this issue. And I, I've heard this or read this from atheists or agnostics. You know, they say the Christian God is, is, is sort of a cruel God who wants to see human beings grovel and make before him. Why, why would God have to do that? Why would God have to have us on our knees before him and say, God, be merciful to me? Why do we have to cry uncle? And until we get to a breaking point, then God doesn't forgive us or accept us. I think that's an awful way to characterize the nature of God, who is merciful, and our relationship to him. A better way of thinking about it, I think, is to, is to think of yourself as as a sick patient. Maybe you've got something wrong with you. Maybe you've got a tumor. And, and, and yet in your pride, you don't go to the doctor and you don't get the treatment. There the physician is to give you the treatment or the surgery and he can make you whole. But you first got to accept the reality of your sickness. You've got to admit that you need help. And that's what we have when we come to God in humility and forgiveness. We're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm sick. I'm facing up to this reality. Repentance is facing up to the reality, to the facts. To say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, is like coming to the doctor and saying, okay, you're right. I need your help. I need to be healed. I need to be made whole. That's an attitude of humility. And that's what Jesus is commending here to all of us. To have a relationship with God like that. We're not looking at ourselves and pointing to our own supposed righteousness according to our standards. But we're admitting in humility that we don't live up to this. So let me ask you a couple of questions in light of this parable. Simple question number one. Have you prayed the tax collector's prayer? Have you gotten to the place in your life where you say, God... Have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Have you stopped comparing yourself to others or measuring your own righteousness, measuring yourself against religious activities and external behavior, and finally admitted to yourself and to God that I don't I don't make the cut, I don't make the grade, that I'm a sinner in need of mercy. J.C. Ryle, an Anglican bishop, said this about the parable. He said, the tax collector confessed plainly that he was a sinner. This is the very ABCs of saving Christianity. This is the starting point. And then what Ryle went on and said, we never begin to be good until we feel and say that we're bad. We never begin to be good. Yes, God wants us to be good. Yes, God calls us to holiness. Yes, God wants his tax collector to change. But change starts with a changed heart. And that happens when we come to God in humility and repentance and faith. So this is a prayer we, we all need to pray to gain entry into the kingdom of God, but it also helps us to grow in humility throughout our lives. This is a prayer that I find oftentimes on my lips. God have mercy to me, a sinner. And I commend it to you throughout this week. If you Maybe there's a pinprick of, of guilt. Maybe a word of anger. Maybe a lustful thought. Just go ahead and pray that prayer. God have mercy upon me, a sinner. That helps us to grow in humility and dependence upon the forgiveness and mercy of God. So can you join with the tax collector in this prayer? Here's the second question. Do you struggle with looking down on other people? Again, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and because they thought they were righteous, they treated others with contempt. Literally, that word means they looked down on others. They thought that they were keeping the rules and they were seeing people who were not keeping the rules and they thought to themselves, well, I'm much better than you. I wonder if you and I struggle with that. Sometimes I definitely struggle with looking down on others. When I hear about maybe a, a colleague or somebody I'm acquainted with, another pastor who's had a moral failing, my first thought usually isn't, God have mercy upon me as sin. There but for the grace of God go I. That's usually not my first thought. My first thought is how could they be so stupid? How could they be so foolish? I thank God I'm not like that person. <laughs> and there comes the inner Pharisee. I've got to watch that. The inner Pharisee. The inner Pharisee comes out in gossip. The German preacher Helmut Tillichy on this sermon said this. I'm just going to read you what Helmut Tillichy said because I think it's very insightful. He says, What is it that makes us take such delight in tearing down our fellow man? The strange delight we take in discussing and whispers in feigned horror the private weaknesses and secret amours of prominent people in the world. Doesn't that energize and animate so much of our news today? Oh, can't believe they would do something. Quite simply, it's because we feel so much better about ourselves when we do this. Oh, I would never do that. Or maybe I would do that, but if I was a public figure, oh, no, I would never do that. Certainly. <laughs> Philip, he says, anybody who looks downward 
and measures himself against the weakness of his fellow man, immediately becomes proud. He runs down others to make himself look and feel good. Gossip is a sign of that inner Pharisee. How do we tame the inner Pharisee? How do we ensure that instead of having contempt for others, we, we, we grow in compassion? Well, we do what the tax collector did. I think he calls for getting alone with God not thinking about other people, not looking at our religious behavior and works, but dealing with what's in our hearts and saying, God, you know my heart. You know what's inside of me. You know my thoughts. People see the exterior, but God, you see the heart. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Because sin is not just about what we do. Of course, it's about what's in us. What we do is, a, is an outgrowth of our heart. A little boy prayed, Dear Jesus, forgive me for all the bad things I did today. And forgive all the bad things I thought about but didn't get around to doing. <laughs> Sin is not just about what we do. It's about what's in our hearts. And so, if we honestly examine our hearts, we will grow, I think, in, in more compassion for those who are acting unrighteous. And have less contempt. And our attitude ought to be there, but for the grace of God, go on. I, I want to end on this hopeful note, this encouraging note, brothers and sisters, that when we join with the tax collector, when we say, God have mercy upon me, the sinner, Jesus promises here that people like that are justified before God. You have it on the authority of Jesus. If you come to him, in humble repentance and say, God, I admit that I have sinned against you in thought, in word. You know, our liturgy schools us in proper repentance. If you take those words seriously and apply them to your life, you can be sure as you look to God, the God revealed in Jesus Christ, that when you do that, you're justified. And that is good and great. Amen. Let's stand together and recite the words of our faith. <coughs>